0: This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies.
1: I think a lot of teachers are very well-intentioned and just need the training. Um, they don't know what to do if someone comes out to them in their class. You know, so the, the first instinct for a lot of people is to say, you know, thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, I, I support you and I, I'm here for you. and then And then what?
0: Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. One, two, two, interchangeable. White ladies.
2: One, two, two, interchangeable. White ladies. Interchangeable. Interchangeable. White ladies. Welcome to the interchangeable white ladies podcast. I'm Hope.
3: I'm Megan. So today's essential question is how can schools and educational systems be better allies and create more inclusive spaces and policies for LGBTQ plus youth?
2: We are so excited to have on the show today a very special guest. Emily Meadows is an LGBTQ plus consultant and published author specializing in international schools. Emily creates an environment that is is non-judgmental and engaging for her clients while taking an intersectional approach that addresses both the why and the how of inclusion so that educators become confident and competent supporting LGBTQ plus students.
3: So thank you for being here with us, Emily. We're really excited to have this conversation with you today. Um, So before we really jump into the conversation, what else should listeners know about you in order to frame our discussion today?
1: Uh, I think a big part of of my identity that factors into my work is my international background. Um, I grew up in international schools uh, as as an American, but uh, attending schools sort of around the world. And that helped me really become interested in LGBTq inclusion in schools outside of the u s
2: that actually was our our next question. if you were to to go back in time and pick a couple of defining moments, what do you think those moments are um that set you on this pathway?
1: Oh gosh, <laughs> define, you know i turn uh, I turn forty next week, so I feel like I've got forty years of various moments <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <fair laughs> um, you know I think um. A few of the things that set me on my path were were the times I was told no. Um, as an international educator, there are you know I I, I adore international schools. I, I this that's really my home. Um, but they're also established institutions and can sometimes be slow to change. So um, I have a I, I'm a school counselor by training. And I also hold a master of health science degree in sexual health. And so uh, bringing those two lenses into my work, I, um, you know, I did encounter a number of times when I was told, listen, you know, our school isn't ready for this. Um, that's not, you know, sort of what we do. Uh, that, that's very, you know, that's, that's a foreign concept. We can't do that here. And, and so I, you know, I, want to be a team player. I want to, I want to be a good employee, but at the same time, when, when you put students first, it's really hard to take no for an answer when you know that their being is, is impacted. So, mm-hmm. um, I think, I think it was enough times of being told no, um, that had me say, okay, well, I'm pretty sure that we can do this. I'm pretty sure there's a way and I want to go find out how. And so that's what took me back to grad school for the Third time <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> to do my doctorate, and and I I really went back with that question mm. of how can we make schools more inclusive for LGBTQ kids in an international context. So what do we know mm. about inclusion? What do we know about protective factors? What do we know about development, youth uh, development, it, um, and then also what do we know about the international context and how these two things can fit together. And that was the entire focus of my of my study and my dissertation and, and really the whole the whole reason I went back to school. So um yeah, I think it was the being told no and, and becoming convinced that I needed to go figure out <laughs> how to turn that no into a yes. Mm-hmm.
3: I think it's amazing. Like the amount of times that I have heard people say like being told no was the catalyst for like really good work that they ended up doing. It's amazing.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, oh it's God. like it's,
3: there's something about the, the drive that comes from being told no, that like lights a fire in people, I think is pretty cool. So you've worked with, it sounds like you've worked with a lot of different schools on, um, the international stage. And I'm just curious, what do you, what have you found to be the most common mistake that K through 12 schools are making when they're beginning that journey on trying to be allies to the LGBTQ plus community in their schools? Like what is the common mistake that they're making that they think is allyship, but in all actuality Mm. is either not allyship or actually
1: harmful? Oh, I see. So you're you're saying schools that that really are feeling ready, but not quite sure where where to where to start. Yeah. Um, You know, that's there are a lot of in my work. What I have found is a lot of really well-intentioned teachers. Actually, I don't bump into loads of people saying, you know, we want LGBTQ kids out of our school. What I've run into is a lot of teachers saying. I want to be an amazing educator. I want all my students to feel safe and welcome in my class, and to be able to learn, you know, in a in an environment where they can bring their whole selves. Um, and at the same time, I have received no training whatsoever on this for LGBTQ kids. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't been traditionally part of the program. You know, most people that I work with say, at most, they took maybe one unit in one diversity class in grad Mm -hmm. school, you know, 10 years ago Mm -hmm. or something like that. But lots of people who did their training more than 10 years ago might not have had anything. And even the 10 years ago unit, you know, the one day, that one week that they did, it's outdated now. Thankfully, there's a lot more attention to this uh, field of research now. So what we knew 10 years ago has really, really expanded. Um, And so I see people, you know, different mistakes, but... One that's kind of common is I'm advocating right now for um, inclusive policies for transgender students. I'm really trying to help schools build um, policies that work for their school and that make it safe and and deliberately inclusive for transgender children. Um, and I've had a lot of schools reach out to me and say, "Well, we have our policy ready. Um, we just like you to take a look, and then we're going to roll it out." and a lot of times the policy is, is built off of, you know, what they think mm. is going to be inclusive, but without a lot of training in that. So there's a lot of sort of protections uh, for the school, but not necessarily protections for the children. So I uh, one mistake, I guess, the biggest mistake, and I say this as a consultant, but the biggest mistake is not hiring a professional. Yeah, <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds maybe like I'm telling myself, but, but really, this isn't something that you can sort of just Google search. Um, and and the vast majority of schools don't have someone trained with the co- uh, current research and, and best practice under their belt. So I say any school who's who's ready, hire a professional who really knows this work and can you know help you build something that works for your school, that's going to have behind it um, everything you need to explain it to the, your stakeholders, to help parents understand, to train your teachers um, so it, it, that it's really an effective rollout um, for, for your students.
2: Mm-hmm. A couple things you said um, really stuck with me. And one, I really love your phrasing about being deliberately inclusive.
0: So mm-hmm. it's not just like
2: a little bit of inclusion or we have this activity that we do or, you know, kids write about themselves or whatever, but deliberate inclusion. Um, as you're thinking about just your vast experience, is there one thing that you would mention? Like, what is a good example of deliberate inclusion that you've seen out in the field?
1: Yeah, um, I say deliberate inclusion because another another sort of common mistake I see with schools is that they say everything's fine here. Our school doesn't have a problem, and yep. what they mean is nobody's come to us sort of crying mm. about this. And um, mm. but but there there actually isn't any inclusion in their in their school. Nothing deliberate. They just feel that because there's no problem, then that you know because yeah. they can't see a problem. Um, so. Um, Deliberate inclusion. Well, again, I'm really advocating right now for transgender inclusion policies, so this would provide spaces um, for students to be able to use the facilities that correspond with their gender identity. It would allow students to play on sports teams um, that align with their gender identity and so forth, you know, pronouns, names, all of that, and uh, privacy protection that's a really, really important one right now. And mm-hmm. that's a very strong sign of deliberate inclusion. Uh, but I also work with schools on, uh, you know, curriculum. So there's really a lack of, um, there's a lack of, uh, representation for LGBTQ people of LGBTQ people in curriculum generally, but in, in international schools for sure. Um, you know, we tend to see it only as like a, either a pathologized thing, like in the HIV AIDS section of your health mm-hmm. uh, curriculum, you might mention uh, gay men or um, occasionally it's brought up as sort of here, the victimization that we know, mm-hmm. but, but, but LGBTQ kids often don't see themselves represented in, in living fulfilling lives and in, in yeah. role models and things like that. So that's one other um, example of deliberate inclusion.
2: Yeah. At the beginning of this, you mentioned that there are some things that are unique, unique to international schools. And I was wondering, because a lot of our listeners are very much in the U.S. and kind of in more kind of U.S.-oriented education Mm. systems. Is there Mm -hmm. if you were to kind of explain for a listener who has less familiarity with international schools, what would you say are some of those unique factors? And you mentioned in particular, like some of the protective factors that are in place. Um, What would you say are some of those qualities that really shape the conversation that you have with schools?
1: yeah, it's it's so interesting. I like I said i'm I'm really a product of international schools, and I've spent most of my career in international schools. so I, I'm very attached to them. but um sort of as with our own families, i I feel very close to them, and mm. um, I also can, because of that closeness and familiarity, I can see the flaws maybe more clearly than someone from yeah. the outside. Um so one of the things that's interesting about international schools, basically what they are is they're there's schools um, that use a curriculum or um, a pedagogical system of one country, but they're in another country. So uh, a lot of the schools I work at are American style schools. They, you know, kids who graduate have graduate with a U.S. diploma. Um, there's often uh, you know, the, the history and things like that is going to be American centric. Everything's mm. taught in English. Kids learn about pennies and nickels and <laughs> dimes. Um, but these schools will be in places like Kuwait or Hong Kong mm-hmm. or the Netherlands. Um, so that's kind of what an international school is. And um, one of the things that makes it unique is that these schools are very cosmopolitan. Mm. They've got students from all around the world, so they'll have host country students. They'll often have American students or the, the students of the um, countries that the school sort of represents. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have students from other countries. So, um, you know, it could be um, expats from Korea or from Sweden or from Venezuela or from Egypt. And so they're all attending school together in this sort of um, context. And because of that, these schools are both of the host country, so they, mm-hmm. they're located in the host country. They they have to follow the laws of the host country. Um, they're really they, they've got local students attending, um, so they've got that that connection. But they're also connected to the country that they represent in terms of the the curriculum. So, for example, the U.S. or the UK. And that gives them this sense of exceptionalism. Hmm. Because while they are both, they're also neither. Yeah. They're not a fully American school or a fully you know, French school the, in, in, in France. They are sort of their own thing. And this exceptionalism allows for some flexibility and some really unique, incredible learning opportunities for, for children. But it also gives them this uh sense that perhaps they don't need to follow certain expectations um and so when you say for example you know that this recent um well recent i guess it's coming up on close to a year but there's been the the um uprising in the us to call for more racial justice in Mm -hmm. in america and, and including in schools and um i think while international schools are acknowledging it they're also a bit slower to say well you know yeah. that i think that happened in america you know that, that maybe that's not us we have children from 74 different countries in our school we're not we don't have a problem um but of course there is racism everywhere so <laughs> we have to be careful <laughs> we have to be careful not to... <laughs> understatement
2: of the episode
1: <laughs> yeah yes exactly exactly <laughs> So, and the same with homophobia and transphobia, yeah. it's mm-hmm. everywhere. And so, you know, these, these schools are really special, but at the same time, they're not so special that they, they avoid the realities of the rest of the world.
2: Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, the, just thinking about what happened. I mean, it's crazy. thing it was a year ago, but I remember watching that as well, mm-hmm. because thinking about schools back home. That were coming out taking stands, cities, school districts, um, and mm-hmm. just how that. I think there was a bit of a trickle. I don't know, Megan. You probably recall that better than I do. I'm just thinking about time timing. But then mm-hmm. also here for me, waiting for international schools to take a stand, and also mm-hmm. like what is there was lots of conversations of like should they, shouldn't they? What is it? What you know? And I distinctly remember I think there was a school in um, South America. and I, I wish I could remember what country it was, but they came out really strong um, against the murder of George Floyd, and then that opened yeah. up just kind of this floodgate more. I started noticing more schools were posting about it or, um, you know, speaking out against it more officially, you know, through their different communication methods. And then a lot of it is interesting because actually there was a kind of, what do you call it? Uh, Eruption of various international school students, you know, who graduated who are adults now, then kind of speaking about these issues. And from, you know, kind of looking back at their experience, Um, Mm Megan, it kind of was similar, I think, in the States in terms of just the trickle approach, people were were a little bit afraid to take a leap.
3: I think that it's it's that ripple effect, right? So it, it, there's going to be an epicenter and it's going to start like really concentrated, but then it's going to really like, <laughs> once the first couple of schools come out and make that statement, it opens the floodgate. And then all of these schools feel as though there it's a safe space to do so. Um, but the, the wait time <laughs> between the incident- yeah and the first couple schools that are brave enough to make those statements feels like an eternity and there's this like really intense tension that happens um of like who's going to do it who's going to carry the burden of testing the waters and yeah. so i like i think that that's just social change like you can look at the patterns mm-hmm. of social change across history and that's generally how social change and social mm-hmm. movements tend to happen right like that's kind of the pattern that comes about
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I'm seeing similarly with well this this sparked also an interest in just deiJ work generally and so my practice has really exploded in the past year with schools saying mm-hmm. okay you know <laughs> we're we're moving ahead and and what do we need and um several schools are are still sort of doing the preparation um, below the surface, but you'll begin to see more and more schools publishing their inclusion mm-hmm. um, initiatives at, at, because this is now becoming more and more the norm as well. And many of the schools I work with are um, quite big schools and influential schools in the international school community. And so I think you know that's really encouraging for me to see because right. I think once these are published, then some of the 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 other schools will see that as sort of the new benchmark, um, and it will become more the norm. So yeah. there there is a lot happening. There's and and in terms of like the the um, anti-racist initiatives, there are a lot more schools doing that as well. And I want to give a shout out to ALOC, um, the Association for International Educators and Leaders of Color. Who have really pulled together um, a community of people who who do this work and spotlighted schools that are taking that initiative and and so it I you know certainly there are people doing the work we're still waiting for, for you know for this to be the the norm around the world but it's it's moving mm-hmm. so, like something that I love that you
3: said earlier in the episode was that they'll kind of form these statements and then send it to you for your feedback and approval Mm -hmm. (laughs) and this idea of um making statements that they're not prepared to back up with action right and so the danger i've i've been thinking a lot about this both in the space of um statements around racism in schools right and and also lgbtq plus um policies is that is it more damaging for schools or organizations in general to make statements that sound really good, it's good PR, but then don't have an action plan to actually put it into place or the education, like you said, that the training or education of the people that are going to be responsible for carrying out those statements, is it more damaging for them to make those claims, to, to say those statements? And you just said there's a lot of schools that are doing like, the prep work under the surface what Mm -hmm. does that work look like Mm -hmm. in a school right so before they're ready to make that statement what does the prep work need to look like in a a school organization before they make a really like um, impactful statement like that
1: yeah I I am wary of those statements that aren't prepared while I would never say you know slow down let's be Mm anti-racist or or um, LGBTQ inclusive in a slow fashion, um, (laughs) (laughs) like slow it down. I I don't want to say that, but at the same time, um, sometimes those statements become, they're sort of the end of it and they become an excuse to stop and say, well, we already made a statement. We're done, uh, without sort of looking at, at what's next. So, um, the, the things that are happening under the surface is, is writing up, Policy that um, is backed by research and that can be defended um, in in a really strong way when it comes time to roll it out, mm. and also training educators to understand. Because again, I think a lot of teachers are very well intentioned and just need the training. Um, they don't know what to do if someone comes out to them in their class. You know. So, the, the first instinct for a lot of people is to say, you know, thank you for sharing that. And, and, you know, I, I support you and I, I'm here for you. And then, and then what? Um, they're not quite sure what, what's next. And, um, you know, sometimes I run into the problem of teachers saying, and I want them to be proud of who they are. So I, I encourage them to tell everyone and to come out and, you know, and you're like, well, I mean, I'm glad you're proud of them, but <laughs> that like coming out is a big deal, you know, and yeah. so you sort of you sort of want to you know help them plan that. I think it's great to stand to to sit with them and 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 be part of that process if that's what they want. But preparing and to know sort of what questions to ask and what to mm-hmm. anticipate and and to help that child you know feel prepared for for coming out and definitely not to be the one to influence them to do so before mm-hmm. they're ready. And again, that's just an an, an example of good intentions but but not having the training
0: mm-hmm. um
1: so the underground work is yeah i work with teachers i work a lot with counselors because oftentimes they're sort of the front lines um and i work with administrators because often they're the ones answering questions from parents or community members i actually work with a lot of um athletic co- directors and coaches oh, and PE teachers yeah, because Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions right now about trans athletes and they're sort of like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and, and what do I do if I go to another school with my team and, and their policies are different. So what if I go to a country where, you know, there's a real safety issue for my students? So I think those types of things, it's really better to think about beforehand, Um, And to, again, I really encourage you, it doesn't have to be me, but I encourage you to hire a professional (laughs) um, in order to do this in a really safe way uh, to protect, to protect your students, protect your school, your faculty, Mm -hmm. make sure it's done properly Mm -hmm. and not, and not just, you know, by Google.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And then I have a couple more questions related to what you just brought up.
0: Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma. It's no secret that Tacoma's real estate market is off the charts right now. And whenever I have a question about what's happening, I take them to everyone's favorite pod auntie, Marguerite Martin. I trust her for so many reasons, but one of them is that she's not trying to sell me a house. After 16 years helping Tacomas buy homes, she's now a professional real estate matchmaker. That means her entire focus is getting you connected with the best agent for what you need. She helps you find experts because no agent is good at everything. Marguerite knows all the agents and she knows their specialty. Tell her what you're looking for and she'll help you swipe right for your perfect real estate agent. She helps me and my wife find an amazing agent to sell our condo downtown. And when we are ready to buy our next home, we'll turn to her for a match again. Best of all, getting a referral doesn't cost a dime. The agent pays marguerite a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling and you can rest easy knowing that you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for to get started visit movetotacoma.com and hit the contact form thank you marguerite for getting channel 253 up and running and your ongoing support of local media
2: We're back. Uh, so I want to, I'm not sure how to frame this question, but when we ended at the break, you were talking about specifically working with PE teachers and I think it's such an athletic directors. I think it's such an interesting and powerful place to do some of the most meaningful work. And I'm wondering, um, thinking about just practically, like how do you approach those policy changes, how do you approach um, not just spaces for you know students in in, in bathrooms and changing and, and so on, but you mentioned, you know, when a kid leaves, if there's a policy to a school that was working for them how does that go with that kid? I'm I'm curious if you can, um, I I really feel like I know nothing about it in this context, especially like, obviously in the U S schools, school districts have, you know, anti-bullying policies and there's more um, specific things. But even, even when I left the U.S. a couple years ago, we were still wrestling with how to make sure that that trans students could have a safe place to be, to use a restroom, to compete on sports Mm -hmm. team. I mean, there's still so much work to be done obviously all over. Um, yeah so how do you how do you approach that and what does that mean for a policy to travel with the kid? Is it is yep. doable?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's definitely um in an international context it's a really special kind of consideration. Um I'm actually giving a training session tomorrow for an international athletic conference. So it's a bunch of babies from different schools um all around coming together to to kind of think about how oh. Within their conference, they might be able to set up some policy to, so that students can travel um, at least within that conference under a similar policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, part of part of the work is just getting as many schools as possible yeah. on board and having these um, these protective policies in place. And there are more and more. I just um, I was working with one one of the biggest international schools in in the world uh, recently, and they're actually rebuilding their entire facility to have um, the locker rooms and the bathrooms so that there are individual stalls and so that you know all students can can have the privacy that they might want or require. So it is mm. becoming more and more the norm, but again, this is why you want a professional because you need to be able mm-hmm. to plan ahead of time. Um, as, as, you know, if I give this scenario specifically of a student who's got a policy, like you said, that's working well in their school, um, but then they're traveling. <clears throat> one thing I would say is that you you would never want to be the one to tell the student that they couldn't compete um, because the policy, you know, to sort of protect them from themselves and say, oh, you can't handle this, we're not going. Um, but to sit down with a student and be really explicit about, okay, here's what, this is. this is the situation that's you know, we're going into. Um, how does that feel for you? Here is what I can do to try to advocate on your behalf, um, and and let's make a plan together. The student, so the student really should be involved in the decision making process, and give them as much information as possible so that they can make that that decision. But you also want to be careful uh, to respect the student's privacy. So again, you're not you know, sort of calling your coach on the other end, you know, the coach on the other end and saying, yeah. oh, I've got this kid, right? Like you need to have all of that sort of, you need to have a protocol in place mm. so that each time this happens, um, you can sort of go down the list and say, I've checked, you know, I've crossed my T's out of my I's to make sure that we've done what we need to do for this student and to keep them safe. But it's even things like thinking of, you know, passports, when you check in at mm. the airport with a group of students and if their passports has their their sex assigned at birth on it, or uh, you know, a name that they're not using? That could out the student if they're not out um, to their team. So really thinking ahead to all of the little um, considerations, and and if you, but it, it's it's absolutely possible. It's just not something you want to sort of do on the fly because there's so much room for mistake, and and it's um, it's much easier if you have a plan in place ahead of time.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah as you're talking about even thinking about um just the name thing right and so like in our classrooms i think you know all of our years of teaching megan we really you know what does the student want to be called what pronouns do you use all that and kind of normalizing that in our individual classrooms but it's always interesting when you come across other teachers in your building who aren't quite there yet or when um you know, the district is not really realizing or recognizing the student's name change or making a big deal out of a name change that really oh. doesn't need to be a big deal <laughs> is even something well, I'm thinking about. Like
3: all I can think about right now is like, I have a student right now who um, goes by a different name than what their name is in the system. and, um, And when you're on a Teams call, your name pops up under mm-hmm. your video. And so I call the student by their name that they said that they go by. But when I call on that student to speak or when that student speaks in class, their dead name pops up under Mm -hmm. their video. And Mm -hmm. so that student like had to make the decision to go by their their name rather than their dead name that's still in the the district system. but had to come out to all of their classmates, right? Do you know what I mean? Like it just, there's oh yeah, like yep. those little things, but like are so mm-hmm. like scary and like, and scary mm-hmm. just in terms of the student, but like the reality of that is putting so, a person, a, a yeah. person, a student in physical danger. That is the realities mm-hmm. of our society. And it just, there are those things that I think schools don't think about which is also why they need to hire people that are <laughs> experts in it because there are blind spots that you're not going to think of. You're not going mm-hmm. to think of it or realize it and you need to bring in experts to help you with the, that transition.
1: It's so true. I mean, there's an, that's one example of so many where, and actually this is one of my recommendations for schools is to make an actual checklist of all mm-hmm. the places where your school lists names and gender markers. So that when a student is transitioning, you know, exactly, you know, you can go into the cafeteria system Mm -hmm. or whatever and make sure that when their ID scans, it comes up with their gender affirming name. And if for Mm -hmm. some reason, you know, we don't need gender markers nearly as much as we use them, but um, that's a great point. Why do you need it? Yeah, I that's a huge in point. The cafeteria. Yeah, I, so I, I yes. do encourage schools to sort of think about when and why they're actually using gender markers. And if we can, if there are places to sort of, if it's not really necessary, just take that out. And that doesn't need to be part of the the ID system every single time. Usually a name mm-hmm. is more than sufficient for a school. Um, But yeah, exactly. There's so many, so many ways that that students can accidentally be outed if if there's not something in place to ensure that all of that gets changed when mm-hmm. it's time. Or like as simple as if your
3: solu- like school solution is to allow students to have like a special key to access a gender neutral bathroom, the no. simple act of <laughs> having that key and using yeah. that bathroom no. is outing that student to the entire student body, which we may be like, oh my gosh, that happens. That That is a solution that some schools have come up with it, to solve, and I use solve in quotation marks here, everybody, to solve <laughs> the, the bathroom, like the facilities mm-hmm. issues is like, well, they can just, they can come and they can... Um, you know, apply for this key and then they'll have the key and they can access this special gender neutral bathroom.
2: That's far I mean, away from everybody else, and it's so obvious when they have to it. go or, there.
3: Or exactly well, the bathroom in the nurse's office. That's yeah, a really office. common one. So, like the yep, only place common. that a student can like use the facilities is to have to go into the nurse's room as though they're sick. That is the connotation to go to the yeah. nurse's office: is that you are sick. There's something wrong with you. Anyway, mm-hmm. I could
1: just talk
3: forever. No, about- but you're mm-hmm.
1: you're so right, Megan. And this goes back to what you were asking about. You know the mistakes that that schools make. That it's well intentioned, right? They say, "Oh, yeah. you know, we we'll give them a bathroom. That's all for them." And but that that's really, really not um, a good solution. It's it's completely otherizing yes. um, these children. So you know, I help schools with that kind of thing and help them to, yeah. you know, find a better solution.
2: <laughs> so yeah, part of this, hold on one more soapbox thing related to home. names. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I was just thinking about all my experience with zoom. So my school we use meet Google meets, um, which is attached. Like you said, it's attached in the same way that I think um, Schoology and some of these other programs are. But, or Microsoft Teams, that's what you guys use. Teams, uh, but yeah. Zoom is so much more versatile. Like, you could just quickly change it. Like, I I I love when I walk into meetings and people have already put their pronouns on their Zoom. And I'm like, yep, default, right? And so, go to fix that because it always reverts back to, I don't know, whatever. But just the fact that that's more flexible and changing. And then you can normalize, you know, everyone putting a nickname or everybody putting their pronouns. Just things that... Make it no big deal. It just normalize and standardize Anyway, I don't know why these other systems can't or won't. Maybe it's a more of a won't make those um, algorithmic changes. Mm-hmm. All right, back I'm to you, Megan. You I'm that. off my soapbox.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: like, and it just and oftentimes it is. Um, I don't want to say so. Like, it's simple fixes, and there's a difference between simple and easy, right? Like, mm. it's not necessarily easy fixes, but they're simple fixes. Um, so now I'm hopping off the soapbox so on your so we're on your website, you say, you know, if you're unsure about Lgt um q plus inclusion is right for your school, let's schedule a virtual coffee to decide if my services are a good fit. We've been talking a lot about, okay, what does that look like for schools that have already decided mm-hmm. that this is where they're at that they are ready to do this, but they're not quite sure how maybe they think that they're ready and they're not doing the right things, but in your experience, what are the reasons that schools are coming up with that that now is not the right time, that they are not ready to start this work um in creating these policies and creating more inclusion?
1: Um, there's there's a lot of scapegoating, I think. Um, mm. schools are are rarely willing to say, you know, I I don't accept LGBTQ students. This is, you know, this is not something that's okay at our school. So what they'll often say is, you know, the parents aren't going to like it. And one of the things mm. about international schools is we are, these schools are expensive and parents are clients. Yeah. And so they, they, they are mm. stakeholders in a way that might be a little bit different from like a U.S. public school, even though of course, the uh, parents are stakeholders in U S public schools as well, but. There's a lot of money involved, and mm-hmm. um, and so they might save that one. I don't know that that's always necessarily the case that parents aren't ready, but I think that that's a common fear is that parents aren't mm-hmm. ready. Um, and then there's scapegoating of the local culture,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so um, saying you know well it's it's not appropriate in this context, um, which of course it's it, you know certainly there are some countries and regions more than others where. LGBTQ people have fewer rights and fewer protections. That is definitely the case. Um, but you know, when I talk to schools that are hesitant, a lot of times I don't say, you know, we have to start with this policy tomorrow. But I talk to them about smaller steps they can take. I talk to them about certain, you know, there are there are little things you can do. Like, um, and instead of this is so so simple, but but can be really impactful. So instead of um, ladies and gentlemen, or boys and girls, when you're talking to your class, Mm -hmm. you know, we're saying, all right, students, all right, readers, all right, scientists, little things like that. So you can start small and sort of warm up, warm up to it. But the reality is that, um, you know, there are queer kids in every country in the world. And unless your school is like 15 people big, statistically, you know, it's, it's likely that that they're there too. And, um, and so we can't continue to put off mm. acknowledging these children who are who are part of our school we we really need to step up and be the grown-ups and mm. um, take responsibility for ensuring their their safety and their inclusion and their care and their well-being um, that's our responsibility so mm-hmm. generally there's a lot of fear involved but it also comes from just not knowing a lot about it mm-hmm. so I, I I think I you know i think most people want to do the right thing and when we work together i listen to what it is that they're worried about and and help them find a path that they you know that we can work together and move forward
2: mm-hmm. before we go to our final segments uh megan did you have another question you wanted to ask oh. i couldn't tell from your face
3: <laughs> well i mean if um before we kind of finalize or wrap up the conversation um so if there was, you know, one thing a school could do right now, so today, besides hire you, of course, to come <laughs> on and, um, and help them with the long t- long-term work, um, mm-hmm. what would that What would that one thing be that a school could do right now to help move them in the right direction?
1: Hmm. One thing right now. I'm so hesitant because it's kind of like that statement where you say, We are inclusive and we are diverse, (laughs) and we did our one thing. Emily Meadows told us if we did this, we'd be okay. True, true. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, it's the real work. It's unfortunately, and I know you both do a lot of anti-racism work in your practice, and we really want checklists so bad, and Mm. and we want those, you know, simple fixes and. While it is so doable to to make schools more inclusive, I'm I'm reluctant to give a thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's a number of things that need to happen, and 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 um, yeah, I think I would I would say it, it needs to go. If you really want to be inclusive, it needs to go deeper than the one thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, how can people, listeners, get a hold of you if they would like to reach out to you and connect with you more? What's the best way?
1: Um. I'm on Twitter, Emily Meadows O R G, and my DMs are open. And I have a website, emilymeadows.org. So Perfect. both of those ways are great, great ways to get hold of me.
2: Awesome. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, before we finish up today, we do want to go to uh, another segment called Champagne and Real Pain.
1: Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my champ friends.
2: So in this segment, we're going to raise our glasses um, to some awesome work that is happening. And then, of course, throw some shade to anything you feel is, you know, on your heart at the moment. (laughs) Um, One thing I want to shout out, raise a glass to is Stella Keating. So a number of our listeners, we know our very own Stella from Tacoma. I'm going to say she's our, our very own. She has been a guest on the podcast, been a guest on Channel Two Five Three. Also has a six-episode series on Give Me the Mic. Um, she's fantastic and amazing. And she went and testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee in support of the Equality Act, um, and really, really encouraging them with her fantastic testimony. I mean, she held it together in a way that I'm like, I can't even. I would be so nervous and such a wreck. And she just told her story and really encouraged them um, to ensure protections for LGBTQ plus Americans in all of the different areas. That the act covers and so i want to raise a glass to her I'm really we're really proud of you stella.
3: stella. oh there we
2: go we got a little reggaeton awesome. horn there you got a champagne megan
3: you know what i had a really really hard time coming up with a champagne That's okay. That's other okay. than stella keating this week um, okay. well, actually I'm going to pass that, um,
1: pass that glass to Emily for this week. If she has anybody, it it has been a rough week. I will say there's been a lot going on this week and in this month, really, but <laughs> it's hard to find those champagne moments sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would, I would toast and, you know, for my friends in the dry countries, we'll, we can do a, um, a non-alcoholic sparkling as well. <laughs> um, I've heard Saudi but,
2: champagne. It's a little sparkling water, a little <laughs> apple cider, a little berries. Super yeah, delicious.
1: See, see there's, you know, we're we're inclusive here for all the countries. But um, <laughs> I would say, I, I, I mean, I really toast to the schools who have reached out and especially the ones who reach out and say, like, I'm not sure about this and I'm nervous and I'm not really clear on where to start, but I have questions. And I think taking that first step and being bold and and looking for solutions is something I I want to toast to.
2: I love it. Thank you. Uh, Megan, it looks like you do have a real pain in our show notes here. Go ahead. I don't actually have one. So you go ahead and dish it out.
1: So
3: this, and the reason why it's been such a tough week for me, I don't know if many of our listeners realize or know that I am Japanese American. My, my, dad was born in Tokyo to, um, my grandma who was full Japanese and my grandfather who is white. Um, and so this week has been really heavy, really, really heavy for me. Um, just with the anti-Asian hate crimes and the Atlanta shooting. And so that's, it just did, I had a hard time coming up with, um, a champagne, but, Man, the sheriff that said that the Atlanta shooter was just having a bad day—you oh, know—came yeah, 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 yeah. no to you. Um, all the shame, um, bell, man. I cannot. When I read
2: bell. that, I was like, "What?" Oh
3: my the shame. So the the treatment that white terrorists receive in this country is so painful to me, and it, yeah. um, so like, and then the overall rise in hate crimes towards Asian Americans. Um, but then also in March, the Women's History Month, the NCAA and the inequities between the men's and women's um, tournament. No. Also, <laughs> what in the world? I want to remind everybody that the NCAA is a nonprofit organization that is held under the Title IX. Um, it is not a for-profit organization. It is not the NBA and WNBA. It is a nonprofit organization that is required to provide mm-hmm. equal funding to both men's the men and and women of their yeah. sport because they are legally required to under Title IX. Um, anyways, I all I I could say more. But I oh, Ed Troyer.
2: No, you don't want to go uh, on oh, talk I mean, about like, the recent
3: Ed Troyer, the sheriff who was just elected, who decided that he was going to call nine one one on a person who was a black man who was delivering newspapers in his neighborhood, and say on the nine one one call that the man had threatened his his life when, in all actuality, he had not, um, and had completely complied with all um, questions and Ed Troyer never identified himself as law enforcement and recall, a drawer. Cars-
2: <laughs> recall recall
3: 40 40 police cars came and a gun was drawn on this man who was just doing his job and mm-hmm. if that's not um attempted manslaughter I don't know what is so mm-hmm. yeah. there was a lot there was a lot a to unpack of week. this week I'm so sorry to just like oh word vomit my real
1: pains (laughs) no there has it's been it has been a week it has been a month I think there's yeah it's yeah lots of pain um I would add to that there is a slew of anti-trans legislation going through the U.S. government right now um it's really attacking trans youth in particular trans youth in schools really weird stuff like you know, kids, kids can be asked to submit DNA tests and, and all sorts of invasive oh um, barriers to just playing on sports teams. And so I, I, I that is extremely painful and uh, hard to see. And it concerns me for the international climate as well, because the U S is, it's a big force, you know, it's a big country has a lot of influence. So when this, these trends start up in America, you see, start to worry that they might be spreading Mm -hmm. absolutely so our final
3: um segment that we will leave you with is do your fudging homework
2: Interchangeable white
3: ladies so this is where we leave our listeners with just some resources some a homework assignment if you will where if they feel compelled after listening to this episode to learn a little bit more about what we were talking about so emily do you have any kind of um, resources or homework that you would like to
1: assign to our readers so much this could be a whole yeah. second show <laughs> um, yeah but I guess if, if you are in the states uh call your representatives tell them that you do not want them uh, banning trans athletes in your name um uh, a fun one sort of a fun one that um I recommended to some people actually recently is a website called practice with pronouns. So if you um, want to practice using, for example, the singular they them um, it's for, for a non-binary person or trans person who uses they them pronouns. I know, I, I know that, you know, some people aren't used to doing that and, and you don't want to slip up when somebody comes out to you. So you can actually go to this website practice with pronouns and they give you sentences with like fill in the blanks and and you, you put in the correct, you know, pronoun um, to get just get practice, and so that's that's one that's sort of a practical bit of homework. Um, yeah, I, I could really go on, but
3: like <laughs> I, I have a whole list.
1: I, I yeah, it just a depends what book-ful. you're looking for. But that was something I was re- recently <laughs> recommending to people. That's great. Hope uh, I you? will.
2: My homework is simply go watch um, Stella Keating's uh, video if you haven't seen it yet, her testimony, mm. I should say. Um, go watch it; it's really inspiring and it just gives me a lot of hope for the future.
3: Yeah. And then I have, um, the ACLU has a really good resource Mm -hmm. site, the LGBTQ youth in schools resources. And so that's just a really good landing page that if you're working in Mm -hmm. schools and you're kind of trying to figure out, um, you just want to learn more about what that could look like. That's a good place to start.
1: Yeah. Love the ACLU.
2: Emily, thank you so much for taking your time and joining us uh, in this conversation. We hope we can get together again soon.
1: My pleasure. I'm a fan of the pod. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Bye. Bye. <laughs> Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com/slash membership and join. Thank you.
3: Um, Yeah, the end of the episode of the one where I'm like, can we take another picture?
0: (laughs) The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flanders B Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel
3: 253.